This Word on Fire Minute is brought to you by Advantage Futures. As Catholics, we must take advantage of new technology to spread the faith. Wordonfire.org is on the front lines, featuring the work of one of the church's best messengers, Father Robert Barron. At wordonfire.org, you'll find inspirational podcasts, videos, audio sermons, books, DVDs, and the Catholicism Project. It is one of the most ambitious efforts ever to promote the Catholic faith to the world. Catholicism is Father Barron's global documentary series, filmed in high definition and now in production for TV and DVD. Father Barron's series will illustrate the beauty and depth of the church and explain the Catholic faith on our own terms. It will be an exciting new way for families, parishes, and schools to teach Catholicism. Preview the production, join our email list, and contribute to the Catholicism Project at wordonfire.org. Become part of the story today. This is Cardinal Francis George. I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Word on Fire Catholic Ministries is a nonprofit ministry at the forefront of Catholic evangelization, using new media to spread the faith on every continent. Father Barron challenges us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of Love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The global benefactors of Word on Fire, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, in order to understand our marvelous first reading from the book of the prophet Jeremiah, we have to go far back in Israelite history. In fact, to the time of Samuel and Saul, some 400 years before Jeremiah lived and preached. Remember, after the chosen people had come from Egypt and settled in the Holy Land, they were governed by judges, people who claimed an intimacy with God and God's laws, and they governed the people on a kind of ad hoc basis. Some of these great spiritual political figures included Samson, Gideon, Deborah, Jephthah. Read their stories in in the book of Judges. But at a key moment now in its history, when Israel felt threatened by the Philistines and perhaps desirous of consolidating their economic and political power, they asked for a king. They approach Samuel, who in some ways is the last of the judges, and they say, we would like to be like the other nations. Now, in the Bible, that's always a bad thing. Israel is meant to be unlike the other nations. It's meant to be a sign of contradiction. And that's why Samuel, the de facto leader at the time, was so opposed to it. He knew that God alone should be the true king of Israel. Now, we do have to be careful here, I think, and and notice precisely what's at stake. What Samuel meant was Israel should be a people whose lives are lived out according to God's purposes and plans and not their own. Now, it's exactly what I pointed out last week in the call of the disciple. It's not your path, not your door. It's God's path and God's door for you. Well, now, this same principle writ large at the political level. It should not be the will of the people that determines the fate of the country, but the will of God. 
it means that Israel should be a nation that lives in trust and not relying on its own resources. Can I stress that that is a motif up and down the Old Testament? Over and over again, that's what we see. Does Israel trust in the Lord or does Israel trust in its own resources? See, in asking for a king, Samuel thought, was a kind of way of saying we want to trust in ourselves. We want to set our own political and economic agenda. But, as I've said, Israel was meant to stand out among the nations as a beacon, as a sign of contradiction. But what they wanted was the status and economic stability and military power that a king would offer. They wanted, in short, what the other nations had. Hmm, sound familiar? Christians, we're called to be that unique, distinctive people whose lives are lived according to God's will, not our own. But see how often we are seduced precisely by this cultural influence. Make us, Lord, like the other nations. Now, here's the thing. And look in 1 Samuel chapter 8 to find this. Samuel lays out exactly what this will entail. We find in, in 1 Samuel 8 one of the most devastating critiques of kingship anywhere in the literature of the world. And I tell people all the time to read it. Anyone who's seduced by worldly power, anyone who tends to idolize worldly power, look at 1 Samuel chapter 8. What the prophet tells them is, listen, the very things they are seeking through the king, security, prestige, power, will in fact be taken from them. Now, again, this has nothing to do with the practicalities of governance. I mean, we're always going to need some kind of social order. Anytime human beings come together as a society, they need some kind of leadership. I'm not saying leadership in itself is bad. But rather, it's the clinging to the desires of the ego. That's what kingship came to mean, see, in the minds of, uh, of Samuel and the critics of kingship. And then, of course, what follows in Israelite history is, with just a few exceptions, exactly what Samuel predicted. That's why 1 Samuel 8 is an interpretive key to much of the rest of the Old Testament. What we see in the kings of Israel is a rogues gallery of lazy, incompetent, cowardly, and corrupt men. Again, I think it's extraordinary because most cultures deify their kings. Most cultures give the best possible spin to the story of their kings. Not Israel. There's a, there's a brutal honesty about the corruption and the cowardice and incompetence of the kings of Israel. Now, with all that background, we come forward to the time of Jeremiah. Around the turn of the 6th century B.C. By his time, this situation had become critical. And this is where the wonderful Jeremiad, literally now a Jeremiad from Jeremiah, comes from. Listen now, it's from our first reading. Woe to the shepherds who mislead and scatter the flock of my pasture. You have scattered my sheep and driven them away. You have not cared for them. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock and bring them back to their meadow. Wow. 
Powerful stuff. It's a full-throated attack on the kings of Israel. That's what he means now by the shepherds. How come? Because they had served themselves and not the people. I mean, that complaint which you find in our founding fathers in the, in the 18th century, well, that goes way back. That basic complaint that kings who are meant to shepherd their people are, in fact, abusing their people. It's also, of course, indirectly an attack on Israel itself. Why? Because Israel still sought comfort and security in what worldly kings can supply. You see what I'm driving at? Yes, the kings are being excoriated. But Israel, by extension, who from the time of Samuel to the time of Jeremiah, still clung to kings, trying to find their security in them. So there's the critique. There's the Jeremiah side of this. But then, then, there's that wonderful promise. One day, Yahweh himself would come and govern his people Israel and lead them home and bring them to good pasture. What, what doesn't that mean? It doesn't mean that God would become the mayor of every town in Israel. That God would become the governor of the people. That he would establish tax policy from now on. You see what I'm driving at? Don't read this as, well, I want God literally and in detail to be presiding over the political realities of the nation. It doesn't mean that. It means that one day, Yahweh and his desires would become the governing principle throughout the nation. It's so important, isn't it? That's the hinge here, friends. That's the key to this thing. How does the nation live? Seeking the security of worldly kings? Or does it live according to God's purposes? See, and Jeremiah is saying the day is coming. Trust me now. I know you've had bad shepherds. But the day is coming when Yahweh himself will shepherd his people. Now, I would suggest it's against that very rich background I've been developing now for these past several minutes. It's against that background that we are invited to look at the very brief passage from the Gospel of Mark, which is our gospel for today. We hear that the disciples had returned from their missionary journey. Remember, I talked about it last week, that journey on which they had taken none of the comforts and securities of the world. This journey on which they had followed simply the promptings of Jesus. This was a new kingdom and a new king. See what they were doing? They were abandoning themselves. I'm not going to take food. I'm not going to take the the traveling purse. I'm not going to take money. I'm not going to cling to any of the securities of the world. I'm simply going to go trusting in the Lord. And what were they proclaiming as they went? The kingdom of God. Again, if that new kingdom, a life lived under the radical sovereignty of God, if that kingdom were to come, what? The old kingdom has to seed. How important that is. You know, whenever we pray that prayer, the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, do we realize how radical that is and what that entails? It means the old securities to which we cling have to go. If the Lord's kingdom is going to come, all the other kingdoms have to go. Extraordinary, powerful stuff. Well, upon the disciples' return from this journey, 
Jesus looks up and he sees a vast crowd. Who is this vast crowd but Israel? The same Israel that Jeremiah talked about, scattered and abandoned, like sheep without a shepherd. And his heart is moved with pity. How come? Because, and here's the heart of it, because he himself is the one whom Jeremiah predicted. Yahweh in person shepherding his people Israel. Not just a a wise teacher, not just a prophet, but Jesus is himself in person, Yahweh shepherding his people Israel. And notice now, he doesn't give them what kings customarily give. He doesn't promise them what kings customarily promise. What do kings promise? Well, wealth, military protection, economic stability, etc. What Mark says, quite simply, is this, quote, He began to teach them many things. Huh. That's what the new king gives, is a teaching at the heart of Jesus' kingship, listen, is the vision of a new life. Now go to the Sermon on the Mount. You want to see it. Someone strikes you on one cheek, turn and give them the other. Love your enemies. Lend without expecting return. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat. You see what's going on there? Is he suggesting to the people, let go of the securities to which you cling? Let go of the things that you think you will find happiness in and learn to trust. Again, don't get it wrong. Oh, now I don't have to ever go to the store. I never have to worry about buying clothes. That's not the point. The point is don't rest in those things. Don't find your security and comfort in them, but rather find it through trusting in the Lord. That is the lesson of the new king. This is the clearing of a new spiritual space. This is a new ordering of things, what Jesus called precisely the kingdom of God, what we pray for every time we pray that our Father. Yahweh has indeed come to shepherd his people. And so what the people longed for from ancient times, security, peace, comfort, would not come through worldly kings. There's the whole history of Israel. It would not come through that method. It would come only through obedience to the word of the word made flesh. And there's Jesus, the shepherd of his people, Israel. So friends, where do you find your comfort? Where do you find your security? Which king do you follow? That's the spiritual question. And God bless you. I hope you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George, and I pray that God will bless you and those you love. 